0: Good morning. Everyone doing okay? Good? Good. All right. Good. Good to see you. A um, couple of quick things. We've got a lot of ground to cover today, so three things I just wanted to cover really quick. One is, if you weren't here last weekend, Savut did a phenomenal job. I hope you enjoyed that. Yep. I was a little offended that at all the services, right when he walked up, people just started clapping for him, and I'm like, they don't, they don't do that for me. And then, no, 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 don't. It's just patronizing if you do it now. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, whatever. I was a little hurt by that. It's okay. Um, Two, I think there's about 60 more kids that need to get sponsored with mentor leaders. So I want to tell you guys, thank you. We've sponsored in the last couple of weeks, I think 120 um, at this church, and and we still have about 60 more. So it's $35 a month. Go back there, get some information, please. I just think it's a a wonderful uh, organization. My wife and I, we've been sponsoring a kid for several years, and it's just, it's a blessing. So please go back there get some information and, and think and pray about that. And last thing I wanted to talk to you about is, uh, and I'm, I'm gonna try to say it in a way that doesn't sound like I'm just complaining or whatever. So we've been working through the book of Matthew for quite some time, and, and we are in a very, I would say, dark part of Matthew. Chapter 24 and 25, we're already done with chapter 24. We're gonna do chapter 25 today, and Jesus is talking about some heavy stuff. He's talking about eternal punishment. He's talking about judgment. Um, he's a, just a couple of days away from being arrested and falsely accused and crucified. That's a, that's a pretty gruesome thing, a pretty hard thing when we get into the crucifixion part of Matthew. I mean, it, it's difficult. It's a very difficult part to read. And so we're in a pretty, just pretty heavy part of the Bible. Now, the reason I, I, I just wanted to tell you about that is I'm, I'm pretty tired, and as I'm sure many of you are, are just very tired. And we've been in the book for a long time, in the book of Matthew for a long time. And again, in this kind of heavy part, like it's, it's very taxing on me. And I'm not looking for sympathy or anything like that. But it's just one of those parts in the Bible where it's not necessarily fun, but it's important. And we have to talk about it. And that's what today is going to be. It's not a fun lesson. It's not one of those lessons where I walk off the stage and I'm like, man, that felt great. It, it, it doesn't because we talk about heavy, heavy stuff. And um, we had a woman leave our church recently and, and she, she got a hold of me and we're leaving our church. She literally said this, because the lessons in Matthew just haven't been fun. And, and I said, well, when you talk about the crucifixion of our Lord and, and Savior, when you talk about righteousness, when you, it's not always fun. I don't think the disciples looked at Jesus and they're like, man, like getting persecuted. This is a blast, right? This is so much fun. That's not the thing, but it is important. And so the reason why we teach the Bible the way we do it is not all of it is fun or easy to digest, but it is all necessary, and it is all vitally important to the health of our soul, right, to the health of our, our mind, um, and for our eternity. And so bear with me today, and, and I'll tell you what, one of the things that's very taxing about, about what I do is, is you're here. So again, I pray, every, every time I'm over here, I'm praying, God, let every word that come out of my mouth be straight from your heart. And so I get up here and I believe that it is. And, and it's hard because sometimes I feel like I'm beating up the people who are, who are doing their best. And I don't wanna beat you up. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't want you to feel like that. Uh, but man, I just, I just get up here and I read the word. And there are parts in this, man, that are, that are pretty brutal today. But I didn't write these words. I didn't say these words. I'm just, I'm just relaying the information to you. Um, so all that to all, all that to say, last week Savut talked about something that was quite encouraging, but but also challenging. Savut talked about that if we've been rescued from darkness, right? He kind of uh weaved his his personal testimony into his lesson last week, which is a wonderful testimony. If we've been saved from that darkness, he asked the question: Well, what do we do now? What are we responsible for now? How how are we to live now? How are we to treat others now? How do we act? This week, it's going to kind of build on that. Chapter 25, and I'm going to do all of it. That's why I got to stop doing this monologue and get into the, into the word. Is we're going to talk about what it means to be spiritually myopic. I have two optometrists in my family, and you learn some fancy words when you hang around doctors, and myopic just means nearsighted, right? And we have a tendency, I would say, especially in the year 2020, to, to not be able to look further and deeper, but just to only see what's right here. And that can be dangerous, and I think a lot of us spiritually have only seen right here and we're not seeing the distance. We're not seeing what God has for us in the future. We're going to talk about that a little bit today, okay? So you should have got notes, handouts. Um, everything I, I say should be on the screens. If you have an old school copy of the scripture, a book they call that. Um, I'm in the first book of the New Testament. I'm in the 25th chapter and uh, we're going to do all of it today. It's a little lengthy, so, so please bear with me and um, we'll try to work through it. If you have the Experience Community app, that's an easy way to follow along too, okay? All right, let me pray, okay? Father, Lord, we love you. God, I thank you so much for this church. I thank you, Lord, for every man, woman, and child in this building this morning. God, everyone watching online that can't be here for various reasons. God, keep everyone safe who's traveling. Lord, keep your hand on other churches and our community, God. Keep your hand on mentor leaders. Keep your hand on us, God, as we study your word, Lord, and I pray that that it sharpens us and that ultimately, God, it brings you glory, brings you honor, Lord, and, and um, that it makes you proud, Lord. We love you, Father. We thank you. We pray all these things in your son's name, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so chapter 24 is about the future. Chapter 25 is about what do we do in the meantime? How do we prepare for the future? How do we prepare for Jesus coming back? That's what chapter 25 is about. Three parables, short stories, Okay. And parables just are are simple stories that teach a greater lesson. There's going to be three of them today, all right? Here's the first one. It's about 10 virgins or 10 bridesmaids. I don't know why I wrote bridesmaids. I I just didn't think I wanted to write virgins real big on the screen. I don't know. Sorry. That's me being petty. Here we go. (laughs) At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the groom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. When the foolish ones took their lamps, they didn't take oil with them, but the wise ones took oil in their flasks with their lamps. When the groom was delayed, they all became drowsy and they fell asleep. And in the middle of the night, there was a shout. Here's the groom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise ones, give us some of your oil because our lamps are out. The wise ones answered, no, there won't be enough for us and for you. Go instead to the one who sells the oil and buy some for yourself. When they had gone out to buy some, the groom had arrived and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later, the rest of the virgins also came and said, master, master, open up the door for us. And he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, Jesus says, be alert because you don't know the day or the hour. So oftentimes, Jesus would say the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Again, these are these these very simple stories to help us understand the principles of God. Now, the first parable we talk about tonight, about the 10 bridesmaids or 10 virgins, is about the bride, right, which is us, the church, being married and celebrating with our husband, God. God. So, what this parable, this first one shows us, this is interesting. It shows us that everyone you meet wants a good afterlife. Everyone, it doesn't matter what their belief system. They can be atheists, even, and even atheists who may not believe in a God, they they hope that whatever comes after this life is good. Everyone wants a good afterlife, but not everyone is willing to make the decisions and do the work to ensure that they inherit the heaven of the Bible. Everyone wants a good afterlife but not everyone is willing to do the work to get it. That's the point, okay? So there were five wise bridesmaids and five foolish ones. The wise ones, of course, took extra oil for their lamps so they could see, right? So they had extra ones, but the foolish ones did not pack enough oil to keep their lamp on. So not only is that irresponsible, it's also disrespectful. Why? Because if I have a gift for you, let's say I I called one of you up and said, hey, I have a package for you. I have a gift for you. It's sitting on the stage at the church. All you have to do is come get it. And you say, but I have to go get it. That's what that's like. So Jesus has left this earth to prepare a place for us. And when we are not responsible enough to, to do the work to inherit that place, not only is it irresponsible, it's saying, I don't care about you, God. It is disrespectful. And what happens is, is we tend to live for ourselves and in our irresponsibility, we show disrespect for the king because the king has prepared a place for us. And we have neglected that, right? So it says these, these 10 bridesmaids, they fell asleep And, and falling asleep. That does not mean spiritual laziness. That's not what that means there because the wise ones fell asleep too. What that meant was rest. They got some rest. Now, the wise bridesmaids could afford to get rest because they had prepared. The foolish ones could not afford to get rest. They were not prepared. And this is very practical. This works on a very deep level, and it also works on just kind of a practical day-to-day level that the Bible tells us to count the cost, to be prepared, not just with our souls, right? As we've seen in the year 2020, there are a lot of Christians that were not prepared for hard times, They had not theologically and spiritually prepared themselves. And I'm no prophet by any stretch, but for years and years and years, I've been telling our church, be ready. Hard times are coming. Be ready. Hard times are coming. But no, we live in America. There's no hard times here. That's been shattered and broken, hasn't it? And so a lot of Christians who thought they were ready were not ready. That's on a deep level. On a very practical level, things like being prepared financially. The Bible tells us that, right? To be wise even with our income because a lot of us freak out and we go into debt and we go to payday loan places and absolutely wreck our our credit and everything else because we haven't been wise enough to set some money aside. So when the transmission goes out on the car that we don't freak out and have to go nuts and steal from our kids' college funds if we even have those and things like that, that we have enough set aside to where we can just Get another transmission for the car. So, even being prepared with those kinds of things works on multiple levels. And so, what is the delay? Why was the groom delayed? The delay mentioned by Jesus is the period between when Jesus goes up to heaven, his ascension, and the time Jesus comes back, right? And in that meantime, what are we doing? So the oil characterizes our relationship with God. And as as we are waiting in the delay for Jesus to come back, we have to ask ourselves, what are we doing to, to fill ourselves up, right? What are we doing to make sure that we are closer to him? That we have all the things we need to keep our lamps on, right? The light shining. You see the analogy here. Simple stuff, but we have to ask those questions. But here's something that's very, very interesting. I think we get this wrong a lot, especially in like Southern Christianity. Listen, preparation can be taught, but preparation cannot be transferred. What that means is this. We are all gonna stand in front of the great judge, King Jesus, one day. All of us are going to do that. And when we stand in front of Jesus and he looks at us and says, Corey, what'd you do with your life? I can't look at one of you guys and be like hey, I left my salvation, like, can I have some of yours? It's not gonna work. You can't transfer that relationship to God onto other people. We can teach other people. I can teach my children. I can do my best to teach you. You guys can sharpen me. We can hold each other accountable, but we cannot transfer salvation to each other. That's not the way it works. Just because your parents were good church of Christ doesn't mean you're going to heaven. You have to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You have to build that so it can't be transferred. On the same note, the blame can't be transferred either. When we stand in front of Jesus Christ, he says, what'd you do with your life? Oh, well, I had a bad dad. So did billions of other people. What did you do? What did you do with your life? Well, it was Donald Trump's fault. It was Joe Biden's fault. It was my boss's fault. It was this person's fault. And Jesus is gonna say, I'm not talking about them. What about you? What did you do with your life, Right? And we're going to have to give an account. We're not going to be able to shift that blame to anyone else. So maybe some of the the, the most sobering words in the entire Bible. I underlined it in mine. I don't really underline stuff much in my Bible, but I underline this. Jesus looks and he says, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Now, Jesus knows all of us. What that means is that I don't have a relationship with you. So the very wise virgins or bridesmaids, They were not afraid to see the groom because they wanted to celebrate with the groom. They loved the groom. They had built a relationship with the groom. But the foolish ones were self-centered and they did not find it worth their time to know the master. They didn't find it worth their time. So the ultimate question in this life for us are two ultimate questions are this, but they mean the same thing. Do we know him and does he know us? We need to be asking ourselves that. If I call myself a Christian, do I know him? Do I understand the principles in the mind of God, right? And does he know me? Which means do we have a relationship? We need to be asking ourselves those questions, okay? Next one, a little bit lengthier, bear with me. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey. He called his servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to one he gave two, and to another he gave one, depending on each one's ability. Then he went on a journey. Immediately, the man who had received five talents went and put them to work and earned five more. In the same way, the one who was given two earned two more. But the man who had received one went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents approached and presented five more and said, Master, you gave me five. I've earned five more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I'm gonna put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man who had two talents also approached, said, master, you gave me two. I've earned two more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few. I'm gonna put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man who had received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you. He didn't. You're a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went off and hid your talent in the ground. See, here, have what's yours. His master replied to him, You evil, lazy servant. If you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers. And I would have at least received the money back with interest when I returned. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw this good for nothing servant into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the second parable is much like the first one. It's talking about preparation. But this one gets a little bit more specific about what do we do with our time? What do we do with our resources? So in between the time, right, where Jesus ascends and Jesus comes back, God has entrusted every single one of us in this room with the most precious gift he could give us, besides salvation, our lives, right? The ability to be alive. And what we do with our life matters to God. And if we squander our life, that makes God mad because it was a gift. So in this life that we live, God has given all of us different amount of abilities, resources, talents, and he knows us God knows us. He knows what we're capable of. He doesn't give us any more or any less than what we can do. He knows our potential. He knows what we can do. Now, what does that mean? That means that every single one of you in this room has been given an amount of time. You've been given spiritual gifts. You may not know what those are because you don't ever pray about those or seek those out. Spiritual giftings. He's given us different kinds of personalities. Some of us may be more introverted. Some of us may be more extroverted. He's given us material possessions, some more than others, right? There are wealthy people and people who aren't wealthy. And then, of course, talent. Your ability to sing or play a musical instrument or teach or lead or whatever the case may be. He's given us different abilities. And God expects us to use those things for his kingdom. And so many people don't invest those things because either one, they're selfish or they're afraid of the risk. They don't want to fail, So they become paralyzed, right? They don't want to get hurt by people. They don't want to take any risks. They don't want to to do things because they're afraid of what will happen. And so here's the thing. Christianity is not Christianity only when it's safe. Christians must also follow Christ when it's scary, when it's hard, when it's risky, if you will. That doesn't mean we act like fools. I can't tell you how many Christians have been like, Corey, God told me to buy the million dollar building, right? I got 18 people in my church and none of them tithe, but God's gonna provide. That's stupid, man. That's foolish. That's why the Bible says count the cost before you build a house, right? Because we're to use our brains too. But we are to be quote unquote risky if it's God's principles. Doing what God tells us to do may seem risky in this culture, but God always honors it. He always honors it, and we're called to be obedient. So the faithful servant that puts their talents to work for God's kingdom are faithfully rewarded. Look what he says. You're faithful with a little bit. I'm gonna put you in charge of a lot. But here's what we tend to do. We tend to compare ourselves to each other, don't we? Man, that's our society so much that we look at other people and we go, well, (laughs) I would have done all that if I had as much money as so-and-so. Well, I would have done of that if I had as much time as them. You know, everyone gets 24 hours in a day, right? You know, there's not, we're not like in the Andromeda galaxy where we get like longer days or something like that. Like, like all of us get the same amount of hours in a day. It's how you use those hours. I get a kick out of people and they're just like, I don't have time. I'm like, you're on Facebook for four hours today. You have time. You just, I almost said a bad word. You just kind of squandered it. There you go. That's a good word. Anyways, <laughs> man, <laughs> Sorry. So the question should not be, how much talent do I have? How much resources do I have? How much ability do I have? The question should be, with whatever I do have, am I using it for God's glory? It's not about your neighbor. It's not about the person down the street. What are you doing with what you have? And if you are doing what God wants you to do with what you have, whether it be a little bit or a lot, God's gonna reward you. And God's gonna give you a lot in eternity. Question is, are we obedient now? So the first and the second servant use their talents wisely, but the third one hid it, right? Do you know what this is like? It's like when you hear people say, oh, well, I just have bad luck. It's, it never works for me, so I give up. That's what this is like. And they just hit it in the ground. And when the master showed up, they go, I didn't do anything, but here, here's, here's what you gave me. So here's the thing. Not only will we be held accountable if we don't use our resources wisely, we're going to face judgment if we're spiritually passive. Passivity and Christianity never go together. There's no such thing. Passive Christianity is not Christianity at all. We're commanded by Christ to be active. Look at what God has said to us. And there's so many of us right now. I do it too sometimes where we're so afraid, we don't want to shove our faith down people's throat. We'd rather them burn in hell for eternity than shove it down their throat, right? So we become these passive, scared Christians. They're afraid to show people. Here's the thing, guys. I don't expect you to walk into Just Love Coffee Shop with a King James Bible and just start beating some sinner, right? That's not what I want you to do. But listen, if you build a relationship with people, eventually your faith is going to come up. And you share that faith with them. Why do we do that? Listen, listen to this. If you believe in heaven and hell, if you believe in in, in the eternities that the Bible talks about, if you really believe in those, and if you have the key and the knowledge to going to live with God forever and do not share that with someone who if they do not accept that knowledge will be in a place separated from God, if you don't do that, do you really think you love that person? That's the greatest gift you can ever share. Jesus says don't do Bury it, do something with it. Do something with it, be active with it. But this person was afraid and this person was afraid because they were afraid of God's wrath. And what that does is that gets to the heart of why you and I are in this building this morning. If we are in this building this morning or watching online, if you are listening to me speak right now and the only reason you're listening to me speak is because you don't wanna go to hell. That's a terrible reason. To be a follower of Jesus. In fact, I would say your heart is in a completely wrong place. If we are more concerned about a fear of hell than a love for Jesus, eventually we're gonna become immobile. Eventually we're going to become passive. We're going to live in fear, and that's unpleasing to God. So we have to ask ourselves, and what that basically boils down to, just a fear of punishment versus a love for God, is it self preservation? It goes back to selfishness. And we have to ask ourselves, are we selfish? we just thinking about ourselves? And do you know what Jesus calls the passive servant? Look at this. I want you guys to look at this. I didn't say this. Jesus calls the passive servant a good-for-nothing servant because they haven't done anything. They have not done anything. And because the third servant lived in fear and self-preservation, he was thrown into hell. Well, I don't know if I believe in hell. Well, Jesus talks about it like three times in this chapter. There is a hell, and people will go there if they're passive and good for nothing. Now, listen, real talk, and I hope you guys don't take this out of context. If you sit and look at people long enough, if you go to a coffee shop or walk around the grocery store, Kyle and I were in Dulles Airport in D.C. last week, and airports are just an interesting place to look at people. Everyone looks weird in airports, right? And so, like, I don't know. I just think everyone looks weird in airports, But when you look at people, have you guys ever noticed how many worthless lives we're surrounded by? That sounds cold. Let me preface that. Worthless doesn't mean that people aren't of value, but there are so many people living a life that demonstrates no value. What have you done with the breath in your lungs and the blood in your veins? Well, I had sex with a lot of people. I made a lot of money. I argued about politics on Facebook a lot. That's what you did with your life. That's what you did. That's what you did with the precious gift that God has given you. Argued and enjoyed a bunch of pleasure and partied a little bit and drove a nice car. That's it. That's the meaning of your life. That is meaningless. It's not that you're not valuable, but you are living in a way that demonstrates absolutely no value. Absolutely no value. And Jesus says that's good for nothing. It's good for nothing. That's tough, isn't it? When the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another just as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. Thirsty, you gave me something to drink. A stranger, you took me in. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you took care of me. I was in prison, you visited me. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty? Or when did we see you a stranger and take you in? When, when were you without clothes and we clothed you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters, you did for me. Then he will also say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing. I was a stranger, you didn't take me in. I was naked, you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you didn't take care of me. Then they too will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry, thirsty, a stranger, without clothes, or sick, or in prison, and not help? Then he will answer, I tell you, whatever you did not do, for the least of these you did not do for me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So imagine this scene. Jesus gives us a foreshadowing. At the end of time, when he comes back, every single nation, every single human that has ever existed standing in front of the throne of Jesus Christ, right? And he's going to separate them into two groups of people. Obedient sheep, that's not a derogatory term. This is very simple. A sheep follows a shepherd. Jesus is called the great shepherd, right? And so the sheep follow the shepherd. So the obedient ones, he will move to one side. The disobedient goats right? If you've ever been around a goat, a goat just does whatever they want to do. They're like eating cans and trying to headbutt you, right? Goats. He moves over to one side, the rebellious goats, okay? So the main focus of this parable is to remind us that we have a mission. kind of builds off the last one. We're not to be passive. We're to be doing something until he comes back to judge humanity. So here's what we end up doing if we're not careful. There are two kinds of sin. Sins of omission, which means things we do not do. What that means is this. When there are homeless children in our city, right? When there are homeless children, when there are people who are literally naked and in prison and not, not, they don't have enough to eat or to drink, when the church turns a blind eye to that, that is a sin of omission. We are not doing what Jesus told us to do. It's a sin of omission. And then there are sins of commission, which means when the the Bible says, don't have sex outside of marriage, and we're having sex outside of marriage, that is a sin of commission. We're doing something that we shouldn't be doing, right? And there's lots of those, lying, stealing, basically the Ten Commandments, right? All those different things. Those are sins of commission, doing what is wrong. Here's the thing, both are equally evil. And Christianity is really good at pointing at people who are doing something wrong but neglecting all the things that Jesus told them to do. We've become very, very good at that, at Christianity. Look at what that group of people are doing. They are so evil. And I wanna say, look at all the things you are not doing, like loving those people, that's equally as evil, right? So we need to keep that in mind. Omission, commission. So what a lot of people will do though is they will take chapter 25, this part that I just read, and they will say, look, we are saved by doing good things. I am a good person because I feed the poor. I'm a good person because I do social justice. Now, I love social justice, but social justice is a byproduct of already having a relationship with God. So here's the thing about social justice and loving God. There's one group of people that says, I love God, but I don't do anything for anyone else. There's another group of people that say, I love people, but I don't believe in God. Now, those two things cannot be mutually exclusive. They go together. It's because of our relationship with God that we thoroughly love people the way we should. And when we are saved by grace through faith, we should want to show that love and grace and mercy to the people around us. So the reference to sheep and goats is about obedience to living out God's command to love other people. So what constitutes a sheep? It's not just social justice. It's following what the word of God tells us to do. So following Jesus begins with building a relationship with him, but eventually evolves into serving other people. So Jesus gives us some practical ways. Feed hungry people. Give people who don't have water something to drink. Visit people who are incarcerated. Visit people in the hospitals. That's not the only ways to love people, though. Do you know the Bible says that if we love people, we discipline people. Wait a second. If you disagree with me, you must hate me. No, 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 no. If I'm disagreeing with you over something theologically, I discipline you, as Jesus said in the book of John, because I love you. I tell you that's wrong because I care about you, not because I hate you. We have have bought into a narrative in our culture right now that if we disagree, we must hate each other. That's what we bought into. A lot of you have bought into that, right? I disagree with that group, therefore I must hate that group. That's not the case. And so... The Bible tells us many ways on how we are to love people, not just doing social justice things. And so it says the true followers, the righteous people will answer him. Well, how did we serve you? How did we do these things? He says, well, when you did it for the least of these, right? So being righteous is not just doing good things. Being righteous is not just knowing what is good or doing what feels good. Being righteous is living the principles of this book all the time. That's what being righteous is. What righteousness is, is submission to Jesus's authority. It's not how I feel. We live in a culture that is all feelings based. It doesn't feel good. So it might not, it must not be true. Right? And so Jesus says it is righteousness. It is it is submitting to Jesus's authority. And so because of the sheep's love of God, like I said earlier, because they loved God, they naturally loved people and even the least of these. Now, when we say the least of these, this can vary based on culture. I would say the least of these in our society is not the poor. I would say the least of these are the privileged. We hate the privileged. We love the poor because they don't have as much as we do. We hate the privileged because quite frankly, we're jealous and envious. When's the last time you prayed for rich people? When's the last time you prayed for the privileged? When's the last time you prayed for a Democrat? When's the last time you prayed for a right-wing Republican? We don't like that stuff, do we? When's the last time you you prayed for the racist? You know, it's not a Christian thing to throw a brick at a racist's head. The Bible says, pray for those that persecute you, love those that hate you. But Corey, they're so wrong. Yes, that's why you got to pray for them. I remember several years ago, there was a man in his 50s, a white man came up to me after service, I kid you not, and he says, Corey, God has delivered me of racism. I have been a racist, and God has lifted that from me. He has forgiven me of my racism and delivered me of that. Do you know God can even do that too? It doesn't. You know the Bible says not to return evil for evil? Those people are bad, Corey. Absolutely. That's why they need Jesus, and us acting evil towards them is not going to bring them to Jesus. We are to love the least of them. Whoever society, whomever society, look at that English, whomever society has has deemed the most worthless, that's who Christians should be praying for the most. That's who we should be loving the most. And we will be rewarded for that. God honors our commitment to him. And God honors our commitment to other people. A genuine relationship with God a genuine relationship with God and love others as, as we love ourselves, if we do that, we will inherit eternal life. Now, that's not easy in this day and age, is it? Boy, humanity in 2020 has turned the suck meter up really, really high, haven't we? I mean, we have been awful this year. We have been terrible to each other. And again, I had someone contact me recently and say, well, why don't you pick on the far left as, far as, you, as much as you pick on the far right? Right. And here's my response to that. I don't pick on the far left as much as I pick on the far right because it's the far right that claims to have a relationship with Jesus and the left doesn't. Yeah. I can't hold non-believers accountable, but I can hold you believers accountable. That's what the I, I didn't make that up. That's in the Bible, by the way. <laughs> so that's the thing, right? It is hard to love people in this day and age, but we have to keep pushing forward with that. And if we do, God will bless us. So... The sheep follow the shepherd, but the goats, like I said earlier, they wander aimlessly and do whatever they want to do, right? Eat whatever they want to eat, you know, look all crazy. They got the crazy eyes, right? The goats, they separate some on the other side. And so if the sheep inherit a reward for being obedient, naturally the goats would receive punishment for being rebellious. So listen, this, this is very important. I think the reason why God is so, so Harsh, if you'll say, on people that, that, that don't treat others the way they're going to be treated is, is here's the thing. If we do not love God the way we should, there's no way we can love humans the way we should. And God loves humans. God loves every person you will lay your eyes on today. God loves them. And if we do not build a proper relationship with him, we cannot build a proper relationship with our neighbor. And that upsets God because God wants that person to go to heaven as well. And if we say we have a relationship with him, but do not do anything to bless the world around us, God says there's a problem with that. That makes him mad. You're more of a goat than a sheep. You may think you're a sheep, but you're not. Because you're not doing doing what I'm telling you to do. So listen. At At the end of this chapter, it says very clearly, let me read it one time. And they will go away into eternal punishment but the righteousness into eternal life. We right now, because of all the things going on in our culture, we we often fail to think ahead, to think further, to think deeper. Imagine if we had it in our minds every single time we got into a conversation with someone that this person I'm talking to will either go to eternal punishment or eternal reward. Imagine if we looked at it like that. But that is a reality. Listen, when you die, there's not just like, you're not gonna become like particles in a cosmic thing up in the universe. You're not gonna become a a part of some kind of moving energy or force. No, no, no. You're either gonna go to an eternal place where you're with God or an eternal place where you're distant from God. And something that I think all of us need to get into our heads, the next time you get mad at somebody, the next time you get bad service at a restaurant and you chew out the waiter, the next time you leave a one-star review for that business or church, the next, star you do, the next time you do those things, right? You guys are in the middle of that right now. One star, not fun. Anyways, think that this person is going to eternally end up somewhere. So think about the phrase. It was another phrase that I underlined earlier on in this chapter. And it, and it, and it, it like makes the hair on my arm stand up. Matthew says that one day the master is going to come back and settle accounts. Think about that for a second. Every single one of us in this room and every single person that you talk to, one day, and I'm not trying to be dramatic, I'm just telling you the Bible, one day all of us will stand in front of Jesus Christ and we will have to give an account for how we've lived. The Bible says every word and deed. Unless we've asked for God to forgive us of those things and those things are blotted out, right? Right? Or we're gonna have to stand in front of Jesus, and every person who has ever lived is going to be held accountable. We're all gonna have to settle up our accounts. Jesus is gonna look at us and say, What'd you do? What did you do with the talents I gave you? What did you do with the time I gave you? What did you do with the money I gave you? What did you do with the children I gave you? What did you do with the marriage I gave you? What did you do with the job I gave you? What did you do? What did you do with the Holy Spirit I gave you? What did you do with the Holy Spirit gifts? That come, the gifts that come from the Holy Spirit. What'd you do with those? Did you know you had those? Did you produce the fruit of the Spirit? We're going to be held accountable. All of us in this room. But the trick is, our problem is, what we get hung up though, is we get so caught up in the moment. We get so caught up in the pleasure of the moment, or we get so caught up in the chaos of the moment, right? That we forget that there are ramifications for those things. The sex feels so good tonight, but we don't think about the insecurity tomorrow. We don't think about the unwanted pregnancy. We don't think about the SCD. We don't think about the the, the different things that it does to families and fatherless homes. And we don't think about all those things. So we think about how it feels good now, but we're not thinking long-term. Spiritually even, right? Not just physically. We do it spiritually. In the moment, the worship feels great. But right when I go out and meet the world, Because I haven't filled up with the oil, right? Because I haven't prepared myself. My flask isn't full, as this chapter says. We haven't thought about the future. We haven't thought about engaging things in the future. We haven't prepared ourselves. We fail to see long distance. And what happens is when we fail to see long distance, we become spiritually static. Some of us, because we're selfish, right? I fall into it too. I get selfish. A lot of us, because we're distracted. Next time you go to a coffee shop or a restaurant, I'm gonna challenge you with something. Next, even if you're by yourself, if you go to a coffee shop or a restaurant, especially if you're by yourself, do not look at your phone, look at other people. So coffee shops were created to, get this, drink coffee and talk to people. But what happens now is people go to coffee shops, they get their $6 coffee, they sit down, and they just do this. Probably texting the person sitting right there, right? (laughs) That's what we do. We're so distracted. Look at the time you spend on your phone. You can do that on your iPhone if you want. I'm sure you can do it on an Android too, but you know. Look on your iPhone and see how much time you spend on that thing. Well, Corey, I don't have time to read my Bible. I think you do. I just think you're too distracted. I don't have time. We get so caught up in our hectic schedules. Man, we're always in a hurry to get somewhere, right? Always running. We're all so busy. We're all so busy. Busy doing stuff. I got stuff to do. Busy, busy, busy. Some of us, us, we become static, not because we're bad people, because we're just trying to make ends meet. Trying to make sure that the water is covered, right? The electric gets paid. We get so caught up. But here's what happens when we become nearsighted, myopic. When we become static, not only does it hurt us, it hurts other people around us. It's a ripple effect. I get a kick out of those hardcore libertarians who's just like, well, as long as it doesn't affect other people. Your actions always affect other people. It always ripples onto someone else. People always feel it. And if you're a Christian, you're not to be an island in an ocean. You're to be connected. You're to be active. I'm not trying to knock on libertarians. I'm sorry. Someone just got really offended at that but we become spiritually myopic. Think about the phrase Jesus said, truly I tell you, I don't know you. I don't think it's gonna be like this when we get judged at the end, but imagine if, let's, let's just say all of us in this room, and I know all of you guys are living exactly the way you're supposed to be, so I'm not gonna hear this about any of you, but imagine if we're in the room and Jesus is sitting at the throne, and imagine if the person 50 feet in front of you walks up there and Jesus says, I don't know I don't know you, depart from me that give you chills? Doesn't that give you chills to think that some people will not inherit eternal life? So not only are we told to prepare ourselves, we're we're told to prepare ourselves and build a relationship with God so we can go out and positively touch other people's lives so other people can know God. What that means is, yes, we live in today. We're alert today, but we're alert today in preparation for tomorrow in preparation for whenever Jesus comes back. That's why the Bible says, that's why Peter wrote, be alert, be vigilant, be sober-minded, the Bible says. It means intoxication and getting highs of sin. Be sober-minded, why? Because Peter said, your adversary, the devil, is walking around like a roaring lion looking to devour you. So we're to be alert, we're to be on guard, we're to build a house on a firm foundation because we know a storm is coming. And when it comes, because we've prepared, we'll be able to stand. We'll be okay. It may be hard. It may be rough. It may not go exactly the way you thought it was gonna go, but we can be okay. We have to be thinking about the future. So let me ask us a couple of questions. The first one is this. Are there sins in your life that you need to deal with? Guys, let me be like super straightforward with you. I had someone recently contact me. They say, hey, can you, can you help me in this situation? Guys, I'm, man, I'm not trying to be mean. I should, Man, I love you guys. I'm just trying to be honest. They said, can you help me in this situation? And I said, well, are you living in this particular way? And they said, Yes. Me and my significant other, we're living in this particular way. We need help with our relationship. And I basically told this person, and of course they they hate me for it. I said, if you continue to live in sin, there's no amount of counsel I can give you that's going to help you. Because you're living in opposition to God's will. So we can pray. I can lay hands on you. I can tell you all kinds of good stuff to do. But if you live in rebellion to God, you cannot expect God to bless you. That's just the truth. It's not just relationships. It's with money, too. People come to me and they're like, Corey, can you pray that my finances be blessed? Are you tithing? Are you faithful to God with your money? Well, no, I can't pray for you then. Because if you don't do what Malachi chapter three says, it says your finances are cursed. I cannot pray against God's word. I can't pray for God to bless you financially if you don't trust God with your finances. So let me ask you, are there some sins in your life right now? (laughs) Are there things in your life to where we have to say, this is wrong? And if I say I love Jesus, I gotta stop doing that. I gotta stop doing that. Because if we allow, man, the Bible talks about it. If you allow a little bit of leaven to get into the bread, it messes up the whole thing. There's no like little bit of sin, there's no manageable sin. Satan comes to steal, kill, destroy, and that's what he's going to do if you allow sin in your life. So we have to say, this is wrong. I don't want to do this. I need to ask God to forgive me of this. I need to step away from this. Listen, this is not me judging any of you. I have sinned a lot. I still make mistakes. But when I do, I have to say, this is wrong. I got to stop. And if I don't stop, God cannot bless my life. Are there sins in your life right now? Are there sins in your life right now that you need to say, God, I am sorry. I got to step away from these things. You can do it, you can do it, you can do it. We just have to be honest about it. Not just sins of doing things wrong, are there sins of not doing things? Guys, you need to read the Bible. I don't have time. Listen, I'm gonna do the book of Philippians after after Matthew, because I just need something happy, right? So I'm gonna do the book of Philippians. It's short and happy. God, I can't wait. I was gonna go straight into the book of Romans, and I'm like, I just can't. I got to do something happy and short. We need to laugh for like a month and then we can get back into, you know, me being terrible. Anyways, are there things we're not doing like reading our Bible, like praying, like loving other people, like serving other people, like reaching out and sharing the gospel with other people? We have to do those things. Let me ask you, what are you doing today to build a relationship with God? I know you're here. That's, man, I'm so thankful for that. But what are you doing today? What are you doing this week? I'm not asking you to read the Bible in, in a week or a year or two years. Just bit by bit, maybe maybe read a little bit. Start building up your prayer life a little bit. Start making it a point every day to do something nice for someone. Buy someone a cup of coffee, right? Talk to someone. What are you doing this week? This year? What have you done in 2020 to build a relationship with God? What have you done this year? I know there's been distractions galore. But how are we building a personal relationship with Jesus? And let me ask you this, because Jesus talks about it a lot in chapter 25. Are we biblically loving other people? When I say, the reason why I say biblically loving is to let people live in a way that is contrary to Jesus is not biblically loving them. Enabling people to sin is not biblically loving them. It's not loving them at all. To agree with poor choices is not loving them. Are we loving people the way Jesus loves us? Guys, the people who are diametrically opposed to how we believe, I'm not talking about atheists and agnostics and Buddhists and Muslims and Hindus. I'm talking about if someone is diametrically opposed to your political beliefs, do you still love them? Honestly. I know you guys hate it when I talk about. Po- I hate talking about politics. I hate politics. But when you look at someone who is diametrically opposed to everything you voted for, do you still look at them like Jesus looks at them? Do you still love them? Do you still pray for them? Do you? I'm just asking about the state of our heart. I can't tell you how many Christians this year would say awful things. Awful things. Do we love people? Do you love people? Do you love them? Really, do you love them? Do you love them? Would you guys bow your heads with me, please? Thank you guys for being gracious with me today. I don't mean to end on such a a heavy note, but as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I, I feel such a burden this weekend. I felt it for a long time. We've got to start taking life a little bit more seriously. Let me say that one more time. We got to start taking life a little bit more seriously. You have to understand that it's not just about pleasure and money and just making it through the day. It's not just about working for the weekend. or it, it, It's bigger than that. We are preparing in this life for the afterlife. Think about it. Everyone you meet will either be eternally with Jesus Christ or eternally separated. Everyone you meet, your spouse, your kids, your friends, your neighbors, the person you don't like at work, right? The person who is mean at the coffee shop, the person who bagged your groceries incorrectly, whatever the case may be, every single one of us is going to end up in eternity, Have you really pondered and meditated on that? We need to be taking life a little bit more seriously. If you are in this room, maybe you're new to the faith or maybe you're not a Christian at all, up here on my right, your left, Pastor Greg is up here. If you wanna talk to one of our pastors, he'd love to talk with you. There's men and women on both sides of the stage if you need prayer for anything. And here's the last thing, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, you have communion in your hands. Guys, again, I'm not judging you. If there is any sin in your life, please do not leave this room. Please do not leave this room without being forgiven of that sin. All you have to do is genuinely ask, Jesus, please forgive me for my sin. He will forgive you. You can take the wine, you can take the bread, and you can remember that God loves you so much that even when He knew you were sinning, Jesus died on the cross for you, paid for that loves you, loves you, loves you. Father God, we love you, Lord. God, thank you so much for the people in this room, everyone watching at home, Lord. God, show us grace and mercy, Lord. Let us take this life serious. God, you've given us a big gift, and I pray that we don't squander that gift. Lord, of course we have fun, of course we laugh, but God, at the end of the day, Lord, let us be about our Father's business. Lord, we love you, we thank you, we praise you. Pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys. You're welcome to help yourself. Thank you.